0: you have your Bible and you should come with me and let's go over to the book of Psalms and I want to talk to you today about stress I want to talk to you today about distress and then of course I want to talk to you about the salvation of the Lord Psalm 25 just a couple of verses beginning at verse 15 Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. These few short words we find repeated in different phrasing, under different circumstances, not only in the life of David, who's one of the primary authors of the Psalms, but in Moses and in Asaph and one or two others who wrote these Psalms, 150 Psalms. You know, you really can't go wrong, we you can't go wrong reading the Bible anywhere, but when you're in trouble and when you are down and when you are sick and so on, you really can't beat the Psalms for strength and for comfort. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. It's a constant fixation, it's a constant gaze at the Creator, the one who made us, but is also the recreator, as we just heard in Dean's testimony. God healed me, God saved me. And let me ask you this question How many of you are truly convinced that you will go to heaven when you die? I mean, you're truly convinced everybody most everybody now the question after that is this one what has convinced you and primarily it's what's recorded in this book the bible it convinced you now we know the activity of the holy spirit is also necessary and we have to give him obvious credit but it's this book it's right here it also occurs to me that so many like you raised your hands you say that I'm 100% confident, I'm just totally confident that when I die, I go to heaven. And you get the scriptures. We hear John 3.16 quoted twice, once by Dean, once by myself. And we're confident. But what we really need to see and to think about is the fact that we're not always as confident in some of the other points of the Bible though God wrote them all. Answer to prayer. Now there are rules for prayer. We go through them every so often because it's necessary to remind ourselves When we pray, we do not waver. That's a condition. And let me say this as well, understanding that what we're praying for is contained in the boundaries of the scriptures. That being understood. If I were to ask you, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you, how many of you are convinced that when you're sick, God is gonna heal you? And if you were honest, I think there'd be a lot less hands. But logically and reasonably, why would that be? If we're confident we're going to heaven, a place we've never been, A place we've never seen. A Jesus whom we've never seen. Yet we're so confident of the things that we speak about concerning salvation. Why aren't we equally confident on all the other things God speaks about? And this one here being his help, his aid, his supply, and his healing. I believe we should be equally confident that God will supply anything and everything we need until that day on his calendar when he says, come up here. Until then... We can and should be going to God for anything and everything, expecting that he will supply. And I want to say this one more time. Because so many preachers take the scriptures out of the context and out of bounds, God is not committing himself to supplying what we want, only supplying what we need. And let me say to you, in a world as physically, psychologically, and spiritually sick as this one is, we need Christ the healer. We need to see the power of God. We need to have testimonies. That's one of the things I prayed for you in my private prayers. So, God, we need Dean to be healed. We need testimonies. Otherwise, how would we know? This book isn't equal to, and maybe in some respects a little superior, but others would argue less superior to the philosophies of the world. If we're not seeing it in what Leonardo da Vinci believed in a demonstrione, in experience, in a demonstration of power. I've said to you that it doesn't take any faith to be sick. You just got to live long enough or you're going to be sick with something. It doesn't take any faith to be sick. But it takes faith to believe that God is going to show up when you need him. Just a few short months ago, my brother needed him desperately. And the Bible says, vain is the help of man. With all the technology, and I'm very grateful for medical technology and other forms of technology, but in the end, man would say, as in your case, Well, if I were a betting man, I would have said, this is how the result's going to be. They tell us the best that they know. But God is above all. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. Because we walk by faith, not by sight, not by senses, not by what we see, not by what we hear. but What God has said in his word. And this is the comfort that we have in this world, that God is a merciful God, he's a faithful God, and he hears us. Let me interject this thought. You've heard the phrase, no doubt, just because you disagree with me doesn't mean I'm wrong. That's also a logical fallacy. I disagree with you, therefore you're wrong. That doesn't prove me wrong because you disagree with me. When people are not lined up with the word of God and they try prayer, and I use the word try it, they try it. As though it was a roll of the dice. That's not the rule. And when there's a lack of answer to prayer, and this is a very odd quirk of nature, you look to God. You didn't answer me. You didn't help me. You didn't heal me and so on. In some cases, I think that God just doesn't bother answering people like that. Because there was rules and there's principles involved in receiving answer to prayer. Again, it's no secret to any of you, all of you. We are living in some... Highly stressful times, very, very stressful. If I was to ask you to raise your hand, which I do periodically, is there anybody here that can honestly say, I don't have any stress at all? That would be, I think, a good theme for a chapter in abnormal psychology. (laughs) Who today isn't under some pressure? It varies from individual to individual. Also, it varies in how individuals respond to stress, but we're all being stressed. Am I right? Let me say one more other thing. If you're not stressed, you're probably not intelligent to know that you're stressed. (laughs) And we don't like stress. However, experts tell us that stress is necessary for life. It's necessary for growth. Adversity, we don't like adversity, but you cannot advance unless there's adversity. And your faith is never really faith until it's tested. I mean, how do you know you have faith until you take a test? Stress. Is necessary for growth in the Lord, for growth in this world, for growth in life. But stress must not become distress. We read that here. He said, "O oh, bring thou me out of my distresses." Just for a brief explanation, or rather a definition of stress, it's just simply pressure, and in some cases, a lot of pressure. Many of you are experiencing that today—a lot of pressure. I know I am. And so just think of it that way. That's the simplest way to get this across, this idea across. The stress is just pressure. You take a thin piece of wood, balsa comes to my mind, and the tiniest weight on a piece of balsa wood is just snap it. Now take that same few pounds and put it on a two by four. It's sturdier, not much stress. And in the world of engineering, we know that engineers think about how to distribute stress.
1: So that bridge
0: stands, they cut those holes you've seen in the supports of a bridge. So the stress is distributed around the support. Because stress is something that we have to deal with in the mechanical world, as well as the spiritual, psychological, and the physical. So stress, sickness is a stress on the body. The emotions can be stressful when they're not handled properly. Emotions come and go on their own. They're related to the physical nature that we have, the hormones and so on. But the mind, as we read here in Psalm 25, when it's looking at the creator of the hormones, looking at the creator of the brain, looking at the creator of the body, looking at the creator of man's spirit, soul, and body, now we have something going. Because now we realize, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Men, including this man, we don't have all the answers. God does. So again, we're told in the scriptures, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. Now, that's not meaning God is a liberal. It just means that he's generous. (laughs) By way of uh, the same logic, it doesn't mean he's a conservative either. He's God. He's apolitical in my mind because he's God. But we go to God and we say, God, my heart is overwhelmed with all the things coming up against me. I have a fairly good brain and a really good processor. And I'm telling you, sometimes things are coming at me so fast, I can't process answers. I can't process them that quickly. Give me time, and I can solve most anything. But it takes some contemplation, some meditation, some time out, some thinking. And we're being inundated with constant bombardment of not only information, but disinformation and misinformation. And then you throw in people. (laughs) The number one source of stress in our life is people. People are stressful, take it from me. I've been doing it for 44 years, working with people, and people can stress you out. Let me tell you this story, I hope it relates, but I told you I'm taking a sabbatical from social media and from television. I don't know how long that will last. I'm not saying I'll never watch television again, but last night I just had reached the end of my capacity to use the brain and use the mind, so I said, let me just watch television for just a couple of minutes. I turned on Turner Classic Movies, because usually they're pretty good and fairly safe, I think. And you know what was on was Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. So right away I'm saying to myself, should I watch this? I saw that in 1962 when it first came out. I'm sharing this with you because as I'm looking at it, I said, well, this is a good example of whether you can consider this to be stressful or a stress relief. So when I turned in, I'm at the part where Tippi Hedren walks into the schoolroom and Suzanne Plachetta's is in there. She's telling the children, We're gonna go through a fire drill and gonna walk home slowly and get right to it, go home. They're sitting there like, What? A well, fire drill? We don't want to do a fire drill. And she said, now do what I tell you and walk. And as soon as they start walking, the birds are attacking. And I thought to myself, number one, now these kids learned a lesson. Go straight home. and the crow's on the kid's neck. And I'm still saying, should I be watching this? And so I got through that. Now the next scene is they're at the gas station. here was some real humor. So Tippy Hendren is walking into to this little store to have at the gas station. He sells everything, uh, literally everything. She's telling everybody that the birds have been attacking people. And they have all these different characters in the place. You know, One's a ship's captain. He owns a boat and he's saying, ah, oh, well, you know, the seagulls attack my boat. Yeah, I was. Really? Well, the seagulls don't do that. Oh, they attack my boat, you know. And then down at the end of the bar is an Irishman. It's the end of the world. I'm telling you, it's the end of the world. Who did you ever? And he's quoting from Ezekiel. And he's saying, oh, then the other woman has a scripture verse for him because he's a drunk. And I'm saying, there's a real comedy in this. And he says, it's the end of the world. The waitress, while they're talking about the birds killing people, he says, Sam, three fried chickens. And I'm thinking, if you're at war with the birds, frying chickens is probably not a good idea. Well, what really came to my mind, and that's why I tuned it in, was something I remember my mother's brother, my uncle, uh, doing during that movie when it was first came out. So it was on television and uh, they were watching this movie where the birds are attacking people. And it conjures up some real thoughts that if birds actually got together and said, we're greater than the people. He went out to the kitchen to make a sandwich and he asked my aunt, did she want one? Now, oh, yeah, make me a whatever. Well, do you remember those little stuffed fake birds you used to put them up on the, uh, I don't know, do they still do them? They make them little things you put them up on the curtain rod, little canary or something like that. While he was making the sandwich, he decided to stick it inside. (laughs) So she went and at the sandwich, and crows around, there's blood all over the place, people are dying from birds. So I thought to myself, well this movie could either provoke stress, or in the case of what my uncle did, it could relieve the stress by making something light of it. In any case, uh, life is very stressful. And in the case of Hitchcock and so many of his movies, he appeals to the imagination. And so many of the things that we face in life appeals to our imagination, particularly the ability or the capacity, or no, that's not even the right words. It's the affinity to fear. That's the appeal of suspense, Hitchcock in particular. He appeals to the imagination. This could happen to you. When we deal with stress, We must understand that it's necessary for growth. So we don't want to be relieved of all stress. These strings on the guitars, on any stringed instrument, they're under tension. They're under stress. The batter heads on my drum set there, they're also under tension. Without that, we don't produce sound. We don't have pitch. Stress is necessary. And God tests us. He tests our faith. And when our faith is tested, our first response is to want to avoid it. But we need to walk into the storm, knowing that God is with us everywhere, and that this is actually going to make us. Stress will make you, and anyone can tell you that. Well, not anyone, but any expert in the field can tell you. But if we mishandle stress, and it becomes distress, then there's problems. Then we have anxiety, and we have depression. And my thoughts on the subject of depression is that it is basically, when it's not physiologically associated with some disorder of the body, depression. It's a severe form of discouragement. News about loved ones, when we we heard about our brother. The immediate impression is discouragement. This shouldn't happen. We don't want this to happen. It's stress that is starting to move into distress. That's not a place where you want to be, because once you get distressed, and if you build up a habit of becoming distressed, You have depression, you have anxiety, other emotions and other things of the spirit and of the soul that will not make you grow, it will diminish you or it will take your life. I've watched many, many people at a distance and mostly in private with my wife, I will say and repeat myself, I'm telling you, stress, mainly distress, distress is what is tearing our lives apart. And that's why God wrote a book God wrote a book so that we could build our life in faith, which doesn't always, in most cases, don't appeal to our senses, doesn't appeal to our sight, doesn't appeal to the hearing, to the taste, for we're to walk in the Spirit, and then we bear the fruit of that walk, which is love and joy and peace. I always like the first three, I never get past them. Love, joy, and peace. Can you have joy in this present world? Well, God says yes. You say, Pastor, you don't know who I'm married to. (laughs) Well, if it's a human being, and today that's even questionable, then you're going to be stressed. One side of the issue is he's all the problem, and the other side of the issue is she's the problem, not me. And God says, like the Garden of Eden, you're both the problem. So someone has to decide that they're going to be the solution and not the problem. We have to decide that in our local congregations, our churches in the world. Part of the problem, part of the solution. We choose. But on the subject of distress, once you are distressed, you start to spiral downward or, as the operative and salient and popular phrase goes, you start to circle the drain. We have the choice to go to God in faith and say, this is often how I pray. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what I see. I don't care at the moment what I'm feeling when my feeling is not conducive to how I want to feel. By the way, if you live a life of feeling, you're not living a life of faith. Faith is beyond your emotions, beyond your senses, beyond your feelings. It's walking by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when you do, you go beyond that place of distress, And eventually, whether it's shorter or longer, it wells up inside you. The Spirit of God, I mean, and the Word of God wells up inside you. And you are recreated. You are rejuvenated. You are renewed by the power of God. Because God suffers nothing. Aseity. He needs nothing. God is impeccable. We went through this just last week, the week before. The attributes of God. And we go to God and we appeal to God and he's ready to hear us. But more than that, he wants to answer. He wants to show his power. He wants to show his strength. Who then do you think is the problem? Well, let me help you. It's not God. It's not God. It's us. we get to it, I want to read to you a scripture, but in case we don't, when Jesus went to Nazareth where he was raised, the great works that he was doing in every other place, every other city, could not or at least were not done there. It says, the text says, and he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Let me say this to you. I have believed from the beginning of my walk with the Lord in ministry, which was the same year, to this moment, that what the church needs, needed, and will always need is the power of God, answer to prayer, to see the reality of God, Demonstration, the demonstration of God. We need to see God healing people. Strengthening people. And I'm going to say this again so that you don't forget. If you believe you're saved and you're 100% continent, why can't you go to God and be healed? I'll tell you why. Because you see, to believe in a heaven we've never seen, really in a Jesus we've never seen, in a God we've never seen, is easier than the pain in the back, the pain in the neck, Or this, or that, or the other thing. Or you're reading the medical textbooks and they all say, no, this isn't good. But now you read this book and it says, with God, nothing is impossible. Absolutely, positively, nothing is impossible with God. Yeah. But God. I've got a problem. But God came through. I was sick, but God healed me. And we need that past tense as well as the present tense, and the hope of the future. Let me say this to you. You need to become convinced, because I am, that no matter what happens, God will always supply everything that we need. And I mean everything. And again, let me remind you, need and greed are not the same. I may want a lot of things, and God says, you don't need them, but everything you need, I want to stay healthy for one primary purpose. There's two. My primary purpose is to stay in the ministry. Almost every one of my friends have retired. And let me say this to you again, that's very tempting. But I told the friend, Christian friend I met yesterday who just retired from his business, and the same temptation hits me. But I told them I'm not going to retire. First of all, it's taken me 44 years just to figure out what I'm doing. (laughs) When somebody says to you, pastor, what are you doing? I don't know. But now I know, I know what I'm doing. And I'm more value to you and to anybody else now than I ever was. But in order to be here and to do my duty, I've got to be healthy. In spirit, yes, but in my mind and in my body. Yeah. That's my primary goal for staying healthy. Then, of course, is wife and children and grandchildren and others, yourself included, that I realize without making this a statement of conceit, I realize I'm an important person to a lot of people. And so, in other words, you know why I want to stay healthy? For others, not me. Just like some of you, and I've heard you say you've said it to me. Oh, I just want to go home. We go through this every week in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that a premature death is not what you want. God has a plan and a purpose, not all of what you've seen. And to go to heaven prematurely doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It just means that the work was never finished. And what that implies for eternity, I don't know specifically. I do know that I don't want to go to heaven prematurely. And I want to go to heaven kicking and screaming at yeah. Satan, saying, you will never have me. You got to say that with a lot of uh, caution and precaution. He's a pretty good player in this game of life. However, I'm going kicking and I'm going screaming. That's pretty much the way I was brought up. I came into this world kicking and screaming. I was brought up uh, kicking and screaming. Well, no kicking, but mostly punching. And I'm, I'm not going out any differently. And I'm telling you the same. Don't you leave this world until you can say, like the Apostle Paul, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course. I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course. Then he goes on to say this. This is for all of us. And now he says, what's set before me is this. The Lord, that righteous judge, give me the crown of righteousness on that day, and not unto me only, but unto all them that do love is appearing. That's how you want to go. Go as one of God's heroes. Hebrews 11 is limited in the characters it lists, but in the spiritual realm, that list goes on and on and on. You can read biographies of those who've lived over the last 2,000 years and believers in Christ that are heroes of the faith, that went and did extraordinary things because we have a God who delights in showing himself strong. What are you facing today? What are you up against? I'm not going to have you raise your hand on this one here, like I said, but stress Maybe it'd be best to do it this way. Is there anybody here saying, I don't have any stress at all? Then you're a lump. You're a blob. You don't have the intelligence to know that you're being stressed. The rest of us, it's like, <laughs> what do you do? You know, you know, you want to just put your hand like this and say, oh way, okay. But then when we come to ourselves like Samson would shake himself. I don't know what that did, but that's what he did. He said, Shake yourself. I can do all things through Christ. I can. Now, the secular counterpart promotes that in its worldly view, and it says, you can, you can, you can, but they never say, with Christ. We can with Christ. Endure this night of stress and these days. We can endure it. We don't have to like it. And who embraces the cross and likes that painful death? The death itself. No one. But you embrace it because of the fruit it bears. Let me say this to you. In this game of life, in this walk with the Lord, are you really, just think about it, are you really giving your all? I'm telling you, as your pastor, I am. I truly am. Then God shows me a little area over here, he says, what about that? That's the next one that's got to go. 100%, total commitment. And I'm sure, as we sang earlier in the song Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, that we've put into this short little vaporous life is going to be counted worthy of a small investment for such a large return. And if our eyes aren't on these things, we'll have to get discouraged, depressed. And don't you think that Satan is going to bring to your mind all that's going wrong? Well, it's not really going wrong because all things are working for good, but it'll make you think it's going wrong. Has God said that everything's working for good in your life? And you say, yeah, it's not working for good. Listen to you, feel your heart rate. Oh, it's up a few beats. I know a man is... Heart rate, tachycardia, over 200 beats a minute. That would drive me crazy. 200 is a lot. That's a lot of beats per minute. But he's going to raise your your blood pressure. Then you go to the doctors and he says, this isn't good. And then you go on and on and on. You're circling the drain until you say, enough. I had a friend of mine, not a believer in the Lord, not a Bible guy, that had scoliosis. A non-technical term is form bent. He had a friend of his down in Florida that had the same thing. And slowly and surely, This man was going over like this, Boeing. My friend, he's a military man, made himself constantly stand up straight. And he was adamant about this one thing that is not going to happen to me. And I gave him, you know, encouragement, that's right. But I say to myself, if someone can do that without the faith, without the book, what can we do with the book? What can we do with Christ, the healer? The salvation of the Lord, listen. Psalm 30, verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. It's not a theory. He was really healed. Psalm 107, 20, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's past tense. They were actually delivered, not theoretically delivered. And By the way, when you're in the position of these Old Testament heroes, and you're actually surrounded by ten thousands of soldiers who are intent on killing you, you're either delivered or you're dead. Well, here the psalmist says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Didn't mean they didn't have destructions, but they were delivered from them. Isaiah 53:5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jeremiah 17, 14, I like this prayer. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. That's when the doctors sh- shake their heads. I've had it happen to me. We've had many testimonies here. Doctors saying, well, it shouldn't have turned out that way. And quite frankly, though I have no animosity towards the medical profession at all, I like when the doctors surprised. One time I was told on a stress test, cardiac stress test, the doctor said, there's just no way a man of your size should be doing this test as easy as you are. And you grin. And you simply say, I can do all things. So they assume if you're big, well, you can't be cardio. What do you do cardio? People, you know how many people ask me, do you do cardio? It's an insult. Look at the results I got. Of course I do cardio. <laughs> yeah, I do cardio. Oh, you lost so much weight, you must feel so much better. That's implying I didn't feel good before. The truth is, I did. I know you're amazed to say, really? I did, yeah. And when I was doing cardio at the above weight that I had back then, I was doing it with an 80 pound vest. And I had to take pictures with someone who kept saying, you gotta do cardio, you want this? It was an 80 pound vest, walking up a hill. Why? Because the strength don't come from the external, it comes from here, it comes from the inside. It comes from a resolve that says, I don't quit. And when you have Christ, I can do all things. How about you? You're going to be tested, so you say, I'm not going to take the test. You are going to take the test. You may fail it, but you're going to take it. And we all fail tests. We all fail God's tests from time to time. But the idea is that you pass it. And so what are you being tested with today? Listen to the scriptures. Heal me, O Lord. And I shall be healed, save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Matthew 4.24, our Jesus. His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy. So it's a list, is a short list. Basically, it's saying everybody who was sick with anything, and he healed them. Let me repeat myself. Okay. So we see that in the biblical historical Jesus. He was a healer. He was a healer. And in many, many churches, they say, he was a healer. But he healed the sick to prove he was God. Now those days are over. I wouldn't want to be sick with something. I wouldn't want to be sick with anything with a preacher whose theology dictates to Jesus that you're different than you were then. You proved you were God, we got the point, and so now give me all types of things and therapies and medicines, which are not necessarily bad, I'm just saying, other than letting Christ rise up from the inside and strengthen you. That's the thing. That's the thing. He healed them. So he was a healer. Yes, he was a healer. We don't deny that. But is he still a healer? Well, since God doesn't change, and Christ Jesus is God come in the flesh, we read that in the New Testament, particularly John chapter 1. Is God come in the flesh that he never changes? That he has as much compassion on you in your stress and in your distress and your mental afflictions and in your depressions and in your anxieties and your physical ailments. He has as much compassion on you now as he did then in the past. You can still look to him to be your healer. I am amazed when I read in medical science the discoveries they're making in how now there's something that surprised them, by the way. They weren't expecting. We hear, well, it's your genetics. It's your genetics. That's fatalism. I mean, it's predetermined. Now they are discovering in medical science that with certain practices, you can affect your genetics and reverse them. That's medical science. Look it up. Do your research. And I say, well, I had Jesus all along. I believe Christ was a healer all along. I'm standing here because 40, no, 50 years ago, I believed Christ was a healer when I didn't know one thing about the Bible. And I'm glad some preacher didn't come along and say, healing's not for today. Suffer, son. It'll make you a better person. If I subscribed to that type of advice, I would not be here. I'd be suffering someplace all by myself, useless to you. Suffering uselessly. Suffering is necessary in this life, but don't suffer needlessly. There's no virtue in that. I know we went to church, and they told us how these great saints, they just went out. One guy, one saint, I guess he was a saint. He went out and laid in the marsh at night naked so the mosquitoes could bite him. Oh, yeah. Asceticism. Flagellation. <laughs> What's the purpose? I'm beating myself to show God that I love him. Now, if your child did that, do you ever have a kid that's when first, they first do it go, and then you say, oh, he loves me. Bang it harder, son. Bang it harder. Come on. You're not bleeding yet. Bleed. Bleed. Ah, that's my boy. What do you say? Stupid kid, what are you doing? Banging yourself in the head. And we're to believe, as intelligent people, that God is happy when we torture ourselves. Do you want to lay naked tonight in the swamp with the mosquitoes, all these welts all over your body, and say, God, I love you. What's the point? I don't get it. It is a faulty view of God. See, because Christ took our punishment. Christ took all the punishment for our sins, and he set us free, and he opened us literally into a whole new world that still exists and always will exist. Christ the healer, as well as Christ the Savior. This is the salvation of the Lord. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, the centurion comes to Jesus. The servant whom he loves is very, very sick, close to death. Heal him, Lord. Jesus said, I'll come to your house. He says, no, 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 no. You don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Matthew 8, 8 says the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Jesus will go on to say, great is thy faith and so on. Now, this Roman soldier was a Jew, knew the power and authority of Jesus. He so said, you don't have to make the long trip. Just speak, and my servant will be healed. Because I recognize authority, because I'm a man who has authority over hundred soldiers. Just speak. Now, let me ask you this question. Where is Jesus today? Well, we know two or three gathered. He's here, yes, in spirit. But where is Jesus today? <clears throat> where is Jesus today? Well, yeah, that's true, too. Okay, he's seated at the right hand of God. The physical, so to speak. And all we have to do in prayer is say, Lord, speak the word only, and we'll have a revival. Speak the word only, and we'll have a reformation. Speak the word only. Now we come to the individual. I shall be healed. But I go further. I believe that not only once we're sick, let's say for an example, once we're sick, that we get well, but I believe we can actually be stronger than we were before. I do. Part of the reason why is because we're so encouraged that God has answered prayer. I want to say this to you as a personal testimony. I am so grateful and so glad that God saved me in my bedroom all along. Because if he hadn't, with the majority of Christians and most of them leaders that I've met, I would have walked away from Christianity a long time ago. But I didn't. And you know why? Because the Christ. 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 Christ never changes. He's still the same. That's how I reasoned my way through out of my troubles many, many years ago. Reading this book, not really understanding a whole lot. But I was able to reason through that if Christ was a healer, like the verses I'm reading to you now, and if he's never changed and he's eternal, then he must still be a healer. Now how does somebody my age at the time with all my troubles come up with a theology like that? Because it's good reasoning. If God actually wrote the Bible and you say that he did, then why don't we believe it all? Why aren't we filled with joy? And I can tell you where not to look for a problem. It's not there. It's here. There's something impeding a perfect faith. And that perfect faith is made perfect by experience. You walk with God long enough and you have experienced that God always comes through. And then you say to yourself, that's what the book says. That's what my experience says. They match. I will continue to trust God no matter what. Because he will always come through and you know why because he's god we're not man is not matthew 8:16. when the even was come they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick matthew 12:15. but when jesus knew it he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all Matthew 12, then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. We go through the scriptures and we see this especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, repeated and repeated and repeated again. Jesus, the healer. When we're told in the book of James, is there any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. And by the way, the elder implies not that they just you know, put a sticker on them. So oh, we need an elder. You're an elder. Uh, okay, you're a deacon. It implies that they are actually men who have grown in the faith. They have more confidence, more knowledge than the rank and file Christian. But he says, call for the elders. And any sick among you, call for the elders. Let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Salvation of the Lord. We know from studying it, save, sozo is the Greek word. Save means safe, but it also means healed, healed, Christ the healer. You see, we don't want to be, well, I'll use the word half-baked. You're confident you're going to go to heaven? That's good. But I had a more pragmatic approach to the scriptures from early on. I said, well, if I'm going to be confident that I'm going to eternity because of Christ, the atonement, and so on, that I'm going to find out the truth of these verses by practicing them day to day through prayer and faith and what have you. I have found out in these 44 years of ministry that I'm tested a lot. A lot. All different types of ways. I mean tested by God. That's before temptation. And you have both. But I've yet to see God not perform his word. Now, In the test you're in a hot sweat. But you keep looking to God and you refuse to give any ground in the mind to any other possibility except that God will come through. Then we have all these promises. I mean thousands of promises that if you know your Bible, and you've committed it to memory, you can pick them right out of your soul, right out of your mind, and, or the Holy Spirit can do it, and often does, brings verses to mind. And you know it's God. And you're strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. It's true. When we receive salvation from Christ, we become indestructible. Not the outer man. We see in the scriptures, though the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed day by day. When I get myself into trouble physically ever so often, it's because I forget my birth certificate. I mean, not that I forgot to bring it. I just forget the date that's on it. And then the body says, oh, whoa, (laughs) no That happened 30 years ago. You don't do that now. Now that's wisdom. That comes with time as well. But why is that? I say to myself, why is that? The reason for that is that I'm always being renewed on the inside. So I feel, as we read in Isaiah, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary. but They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Has thou not heard? Has thou not known? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. God is never tired. You get up at 2 a.m., he's up. You get up at 4 a.m., he's up. And you can look at it this way. This is how I have always looked at it. I have a mental image in my mind that's on the side of my head. It's, a light, it's like a light switch. When I'm ready to go to sleep, I go... Now, God is going to be up all night, so he can think about it, and I don't have to. Or I repeat the scripture, as I did just last night. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. You know what? This not only was, but this is the word of the hour for the people out here. This is what people are looking for. They're looking for God. They're looking for Jesus. They just don't know him. That's our job, as we heard, to bring it to them. Not everyone will believe, but happy are those that do. Let me, let me go to this here. There's so many scriptures. So there's stress. That's fine. You need that to grow. Don't try to avoid stress. Don't hide in the closet. Don't pull the blinds. In the world, you know, an ostrich, I don't know what they actually think, but an ostrich may think by putting its head in the sand, it's all going to go away. But it doesn't. You want to get bit in the gluteus maximus. So you got to be more like the tiger. Or better yet, you know, if you're ever approached by a dog that's not happy with you, the worst thing to do is start to turn and run. Now, you've got to back up, but you keep your eyes right on them. You are backing up. I'm backing up. <laughs> but I'm looking at someone who's intimidating me. I look them straight in the eye, and I ain't backing up one inch. I'll leave it with that, but we have become literally indestructible. Fear not those that can destroy the body, and after that have no more that they can do to you, but fear him that can destroy body and soul in hell the only fear you should have. You can downside, minimize all your fears to one. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of the wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of every blessing on earth is to know what God could do when he wants to for better or for worse. But when he does what's good, nobody can touch it. Nobody can alter it. Nobody can change it. And so we brag on the Lord. We brag about the goodness of God. Let me finish with this verse. It's Mark 6, 5. This is Jesus we're talking about. And he could do there no, it's Nazareth. And he could do there no mighty work. Save means except, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Hey, you know what? In any service, if God just laid his hands on a few sick folk, we would be talking about it all day long. Here, it's a negative. Here, it's like, that's all you could do is heal a few of you. It shows you, huh? What is written down here as a exhortation to not do the same thing, yep. A few sick people were actually healed, and we know, we know that in many cases, most are not healed. In a Sunday evening service some years ago, I was preaching on healing, and I asked the church, I said, let's just be honest, when we anoint with oil and when we pray the prayer of faith, how many people are actually healed? See, the preacher's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to always have his cheerleading costume on and his pom-poms and basically tell a lie. Everybody's healed, everybody's healed, everybody's not healed, let's be honest. But I do believe everybody could be healed, regardless of the reports. Look at, you don't know much about Dean's situation, little I told you, but when the aortic artery, it's about the, it has the lumen of a quarter. It's the largest artery in the body, loops behind the heart down, and goes down below and goes throughout. When that ruptures, well, you can figure out that's not good. Yet through prayer and the efforts of competent medical personnel, His life has been spared. it has been spared for a purpose. He's still got a ministry. He's got things to do, places to go, and people to meet by the power and intervention of Almighty God. But is he unique? Am I unique? A few sick folk? Or do we come to the time now when we need an army of people who are strong in the Lord? I say we need an army of people. Spirit, soul, and body that are strong in the Lord. Don't let your stress become distress. That's an act of the will. Stand against it. Run into the storm, don't run away from it. A dog, that may be different. Oh, one, we just. I gotta tell you one quick story. I promise I'll finish. Preachers say they're gonna finish, they never finish. I'm delivering mail many years ago. I made the mistake, I was at a house I didn't know, and I made the mistake of opening the porch door. You know, they always creak. Mm. And as soon as I was pulling the door, I said to myself, this is a mistake. Then I hear on the floor, He's scratching a pause. I said, oh, this is a mistake. And when this monster appeared, a German shepherd, I think he weighed about five, 600 pounds. This German shepherd appeared. I said, oh, this was a mistake. Then I got the screen door on his head. And I said, well, this is not making him happy. So I was trying to strategize, like, on my feet, like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? This is a monster of a dog. And he came out on the, so I let him out. I said, hey, hey, hey friend. You know. He was not in the mood now, so he, bam, he went on my leg. Good thing he had his mouth wide open and he couldn't get much, but he's, and he's trying to pull me. Now I had enough. That's a true story, as a mailman. I said to him, get off my leg in the name of Jesus. And he went, yeah. then I felt kind of good. I don't advise you to open screen doors. Well, you don't know what's behind the door. Hey, if you're going to get bit by a German... If you're already bit by a German shepherd, I got bit by an Irish chef, go figure. But if you're going to get bit, be in the fight. And Satan's going to bite you. Get in the fight. Fight back with the scriptures, with prayer, and with faith. Let's pray. Father, we have confidence in the book. But I think sometimes our confidence is selective. Oh, we believe that Christ is coming. We believe we're going to heaven. We believe there's an antichrist. But... Then there's other promises that, it just seems to me at least, that we uh, don't treat them with the same equality. You are our hiding place. You are our healer, our strong fortress, our tower, our rock. Many, many promises in the scriptures. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Sing unto the Lord a new song and so on. I pray today, Father, for everyone here, for everyone watching, for everyone listening by way of radio. Faith would take hold in this dark hour of history. And we can see that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Oh God, today I just ask you in Jesus' mighty name, heal, deliver, touch, touch your people. I want to pray with you today before we close the service. I want to have you anointed with oil. I want to ask God to to fulfill his word. The power is not in man, man, not in the preacher. It's in Christ. So stand with me, would you please? And I'll ask the elders to grab the anointing oil and we're going to anoint everybody, everybody that will come forward. I envy the person that doesn't need a healing, but I have doubts about it. Everybody needs a touch of God. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved and healed. Today we come forward with our stress and distress We come forth with our sickness, disease, our aches, and our pains. We come forth with our diagnosis where men give up and say there's nothing we can do. But that is not true of you. There's always something you can do and are willing to do it. We bless you today. We praise you today. For truly you are great and greatly to be praised. Father, right now I'm trusting the same Jesus Who healed all that came to him in the New Testament. And did many healings in the Old. I'm trusting Lord. We are trusting God. You're touching the cancer. The heart disease. You're touching the arthritis. And the crippling. You're touching the mental anguish. And bringing a bright cloud. Releasing the anxieties. Oh God we bless you. And we cannot ignore the demonic powers. That Jesus cast out with his word. Oh God, we do that in Jesus' mighty name. Satan has no part in this work. No part. We take authority over his minions. The mind become clear. and The thinking become clear. And there be a restoration and a renewal and a rejuvenation and a revival in the heart of every person here. God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. You build our faith. And we go from faith to faith and from strength to strength. We give you praise. God, we bless you, making us strong and keeping us strong, no matter how we feel. We bless you, (laughs) and we praise you, give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Thank you. Thank you. But I thank you that you are still working in the world, and you're growing your church, and you're working miracles and doing things, so that men will declare the glory of the Lord, and we will be amongst that group, declaring the glory of God. Father, I just thank you ask you to touch each one as they go today. Help them, God, to have safe traveling mercies. Help them, Lord, today to be able to be protected from all the strategies of the enemy. Most of all, help each one of us to be strong in faith, giving glory to God, and not to stagger at your promises. Remind us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, and, of course, to love one another. We pray and thank you for all these things today in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Amen.